This is Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and today we are wondering how much people know about aging. My knee hurts and your memory's going. Yeah, I, luckily I've always been that way, actually. <laughs> if I remember correctly, however, I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. This is Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Today we're going to explain a bit about aging wine and give you some good and bad ways to store it. Paul has some horrible wine writing with a word we've never heard before. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good one, too. A listener asked whether wine really goes through a dumb phase. We can say Paul and I do. Huh? <laughs> and as usual, we will make fun of wine snobs. Stay with us. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Today, we're back on an ageless subject. Okay, wait a minute here. No, no, first of all, the subject isn't ageless, and second of all, we said no bad puns. Yeah, you're right. It is a lame joke, but it is kind of ageless. It's the subject of aging, and seem, we seem to get a lot of questions about that. We're also going to talk about how to store wines a bit later in the show, um, but we want to start with what actually happens when wine gets old, as opposed to us, we just get achy and forgetful. Right. They, uh, wines don't get forgetful, but they get kind of different flavors. They change completely. First of all, is it a mistake to think that all wine gets better with age? In fact, 98% of the wine that is commercially sold in America today is intended to be drunk within a year of when it's been bottled. So drink it down and enjoy it and be happy with it. But for those few wines that are really intended to be put down for a few years and aged, what happens over time? The very, very bright, fresh fruit flavors that we get in wine tend to back off. And what you get is more of what are called the secondary characteristics, which are more complexity. Some of the harsh elements of the wine tend to soften up a little bit. So it goes possibly from being a little bit big, brash, and muscle-bound to being like you, Rick, it goes Wait, to being... I'm not muscle-bound? No, you are muscle-bound. And it goes to being someone who is complex, deep, elegant, sophisticated. Oh, unlike me. There you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, you know, we have a tendency to think about it this way, which is I know a lot of folks figure they're going to let a wine age. In, in a way, it's letting a sauce simmer for a while, maybe cooking right. it down and getting bigger and bigger and bigger, but right. rather just the opposite happens. No, that's right. And, yeah. you know, a way to think about this is is that, you know, wines are, they are sort of living entities in a way in that they're, they're evolving, they're changing, like anything does that sits around. And when you think about the time that wine can sit. Is that what we're doing? Uh, sitting around and evolving? Well, yes. We have not been accused of evolving, Paul. No, we have not. We're devolving. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, the, the flavors really are a thing that, in some cases, it's an acquired taste. In some cases, yep. it's just something. You know, I, I'm sure you've run across folks like this. I have one friend, really sweet guy, and he's decided that he's only going to drink old wines whenever he can help it simply because he likes those flavors better. Fair enough. Yeah, it's, it's not a snoot thing, you know. No, he, fair he enough. Yeah, but he just really likes them. Yep. And sometimes you run across, I had a 14-year-old, I think it was, 14-year-old Chardonnay the other night. Boy, I'm glad you finished that sentence. Yes. <laughs> the Chardonnay. Yes, don't get us 
in any kind of trouble here. <laughs> and it was it was actually a bottle that was sort of in the bottom of uh, you know my one of my wine one refrigerators. Of the, one of the racks you forgot about. Exactly right. right. Yeah, exactly we all right. Have them. So we thought, what the heck? Let's <clears throat> just taste it. We were having a Thai food that night, and I liked it. Deborah didn't hate it, but it was not her favorite. Right. But I thought it went really well with the Thai food in a way. Right. It was sort of thus the, proving yet again, Rick, that you will drink anything. <laughs> well, well, that has never been in doubt. <laughs> you know. So it is, but it simply is a matter. But don't expect those sorts of things. No, and you know, one way to think of this in some ways is is almost to think about the difference between uh, gr- green tea and black tea. The, a young wine will be more like green tea. It will have more of the pure flavor of the tea coming straight through. The older aged wines will have more complexity, but they won't have that freshness. You right. won't ever get that. And I find this actually more true of people who like red wines than white wines. Mm-hmm. If you really like that big, bold, rich fruit flavor, mm-hmm. don't age your wines because it goes away. Yeah, that's actually really, really kind of important advice. And I know you don't hear us say that about anything we say, <laughs> but it's true. You know, I have another very good friend, and he's just the opposite. I asked him, I said, you know, what do you like in wine? We were talking about, you know, wanted me to recommend him some wineries and some places to go visit. Yeah. He likes that punch of fruit. And so he this is a, this yep, is a, he definitely should be drinking young wines. Yes. Yeah. That's right. And so yeah. that is something to know about yourself and and you know, we talk a lot about finding a bottle that you like and taking a picture of it, you know, and and then bringing that to somebody or at least giving you a frame of reference, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's not so much remembering vintages. You know, Lord knows we can't remember what's what, but um <laughs> but kind of remember general ages when you've found things that you liked or if they were were rather old and you didn't like them or you did like them it's sort of good to know yeah we're, we'll talk a little bit about more about what what wines specifically but let, let's just talk about what actually happens to that wine mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when it's sitting there in the bottle what's going on well one of the things that probably the most basic element is a very 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 slow and very gentle oxidation so you have a little bit of oxygen in the headspace, that air spot in the bottle between the cork and the wine. You have a little bit of oxygen in the cork. And over time, that oxygen interacts with the wine. And it's a little bit like, as your suggestion, a slow-cooked sauce. It very slowly changes the fruit from that bright, lively fruit to something that's a little less lively but a little more elegant, a little softer. Yeah, you use your you use this example a lot, and I I hate to say it, but it's a good one, which is what <laughs> what oxygen does, you know. But that put the apple on, slice the apple, stick right. it on the slice counter, the and, and you can see oxygen changes things. Yep. Another thing that happens, you know, and there's all these goofy descriptions for what happens to make the tannins soften. Right. But fundamentally, what's happening is they're sort of bonding together, and so they just become less. Powerful, and so I think of the tannins in a big red wine as being a little bit like a frat party. If you leave them in the bottle long enough, they start to hang out with each other. They eventually bond with each other, and they all fall to the bottom of the bottle and they lie there. <laughs> there yes. you go. I've been to that part. And and actually, then what happens is those tannins, remember, are some of the rough edges to a wine. So as they they bond and they fall down into the sediment of the bottle. That's when the wine has a little more softness to it. Right. And they, they also, if you think of what tans are, they're sort of little spiky molecules. And if they bond together, there's less spiky. They're less spiky. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, 
And the other thing, too, that sometimes happens, and you sort of taste this in some ways more with older wise, the phrase is reduction. But, you know, what also happens is they get a little denser. And it's that uh, I'm trying to think for, you know, we talk of like sherryized is sort of the wine industry term of it, which is that they tend to get nutty and with whites. And, and there's almost a, a dessert note to it. I'm not really describing some of them it very can. well. Some of them can. And some of that depends on acidity. The higher the wine, the higher the acid in the wine, the less likely that the plums will turn to prunes. But be careful. You know, I know what you mean by reduction means it becomes like a sauce. It becomes, but there's actually a technical right, term for right, reduction right. in wine. To, yeah, I was trying that to stay away from that. Doesn't one. Yeah. mean that. So yeah, 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 right, right. It actually has to do with sulfur in the wine. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, and you're actually talking about something. Let's go from there. We talk about what it is about. If you know your wines can age, you get a ton of these questions. You know, when you yes. a, you answer questions for allexperts.com, and yep. I, and I think you've mentioned, and I actually looked at your questions. Some of them were actually reasonable answers. I got to tell you, Paul. Well, hell, every once in a yeah. while. You know, but a lot of those questions can still find an acorn. <laughs> a lot of those questions um, are about: I have this bottle. Is I it found any this bottle. So before we kind of give some examples, there's a handful of things in wine that helps you know whether or not it's going to age. Right. You were just mentioning one of them: the high acidity in a white, in particular, but in reds as well. In reds as well, the acidity and helps. Sugar in a white is another one. So you get Sometimes. those high yep. acid, sweet yep. rieslings, for example, yep. would age. Tannins can be one of the things. They can. Right. And all of those things individually can impact, but the single most important element in wine, if you want it to age, is balance. If the wine is out of balance in any way as it ages, it will become more unbalanced. Pretty soon it'll begin to look a lot like Rick, Rick Cushman. I, I was going to say, I thought it was a healthy exercise regime and a good diet. but that's, <laughs> no, um, no, no, no. And so if the wine seems too acidic when it's young, if it's too tannic and not enough fruit, if it's got tons of fruit and not enough tannin, these are complicated questions. And really the only way to learn it is to buy a bunch of wine and get old with it. But in general, I think it's safe to say that for anybody buying wine today, anyone buying wine in a supermarket, it's intended to be bought, yes. consumed yes. within a year of when the, the wine has been bottled. There are a few select wines that are meant for long-term aging, and maybe we should take a little time to talk about those a little later in the show and talk about what you might want to do or how to look at those. But in general, if you have wine that you've been storing for a while, you're way better off drinking it than leaving it wherever you got it. Yeah. And, you know, there's that question you get a lot. You know, we all have it. I had, you know, even a guy with a wine refrigerator. I still, there's a shelf I've forgotten about. Or, you know, yep. we've got some of you find, yep. if you had a wine that you thought was in the closet or somewhere for and six it's months, time, it turns out it's, it's time to five let that, years. Time yeah. to let that wine come out of the closet. Yeah, well, that's true. Um, it's, it's always important to do not keep your wines in the closet if they don't want to be. Um, That's right. So how do you know? Well, it depends. You know, there's no really good rules. But, you know, with a white that you bought at a supermarket, you know, and we're talking Chard or Sauvignon Blanc or Pinot Grigio, any of those sorts of wines, you know, you got really think about it like two years. You know, you really want it to be two, maybe three years old, the max. It can go a few more years after that. But again, most people are buying those wines because they like the fruit character to them. And as they age them, well, they will not. I mean, wine does not fall off the edge of table is the expression we use in the wine business. Well, they did one at my house. I used to knock them over. all the time. No, but this idea that once a wine hits its peak, it somehow is this instantaneous moment when it's perfect and then it goes straight into decades of doom. It's actually a very slow, gentle curve, but you may discover as you taste older wines, they seem less fresh, they seem less fruity. That's age. And the longer you age your wine, the less fruit they'll have. So... 
particularly with white wines. I think I actually think white wines are less a worse choice to age than oh, yeah. than red wines. I, I would agree. And, even and, even yeah. at the supermarket level. Yeah, no, I, that's what I'm saying. So I think of really yeah. two to three years kind of max. And with the supermarket wine. It's going to depend. You know, if you have a supermarket, you know, a decent, you need a Cabernet or whatever, there's probably going to sit around for a little bit. But if it's, you know, wines, and we're talking the most common range of supermarket buys, which is in the 10 and 20 range, although there's seven a whole 20. lot of, yeah, 7, seven 20, to 20, right? 7 to 20 is the range. Um, is, you know, if it's, whether it's a Pinot, it's probably, you know, it's ready to go when you Drink buy it. it. Yeah. yeah. Drink yeah. it. Zin's ready to go when you get them. You yep. know, yeah, maybe the big red, big cabs, you got, you know, five to 10 years. But, but you could. There's no reason, but, frankly, but there's no reason to do it. There's no reason to do it. And frankly, many of those wines, even even though they are the, the cabs, they are, I wouldn't age them for a long time. I, a lot of those wines are made so intentionally to be drunk now, to taste good now, that they don't actually, 10 years from now. In fact, what's really interesting is if you talk to a lot of the winemakers who make those wines, they would tell you they don't age them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they don't age them because they don't like how they taste as they get older. Yeah. We're going to talk about what wines to age and how to store them uh, in the second half of the show when, when yep. we— they should, You should always through. store your wines in the second half of the show. Yes, that's that's really where— But uh, I do want to ask one more, which is you just had a child. And so you no, wanna... I, my kids are much older than yes. that, right? But let's, uh, let's, uh, let's pretend. Um, <laughs> and you just had a child, and she's going to graduate in 21 years, you hope. Yes. <laughs> uh, and you want to save a bottle of wine— or get married. Married or yeah, yeah, or for something something that's going to come a few years down the road, and you want right. you want a bottle from this from the year she was born to give to right. her. Right, and, and, and it's a really that's the really interesting question because of course people have babies. I've heard this. People have babies. I've been told that happens. They want to go out and buy a wine. The wine from the year that your child has been born has not been made yet. Right. So if you're daughter is born Good in point. 2015, yeah. you're yeah. going to have to wait a couple years to get one of those wines. So first of all, don't be in a big hurry. Yeah, you, you have time to ask around. You yeah. have time to ask around and yeah. pick a good bottle. Um, and then look for something that has a very well-established track record for aging well. And I'm going to tell you that if you went to any wine expert on the planet and said, I'm going to buy a bottle and age it 20 years, not necessarily sure my storage conditions are perfect. I know where you're going. Not necessarily sure that I'm going to be able to spend enough money to buy the very best example of anything you can get. And to make sure that in 20 years the person drinking it will enjoy it. And I think you're probably looking at Vintage Port or Madeira. Yep. That's where I was going to, except, yeah. except if you were giving it to my wife. But uh, for most most people, the very, a, a great slightly aged or aged well uh, of something like a port or a tawny port, either one of those, yeah. you know, there's just yeah. The difference ones. is, of course, a vintage port will right. have the vintage on it. The tawny port will just be— And have an age. You're an right. Age. Very good point. Very good but point. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, and the nice thing about these wines, they're quite concentrated. They are to be shared. So, whereas a bottle of red wine, you and— I just drink it myself. You drink yeah, it yourself. Yeah. But a bottle of port can easily be shared with a larger group. So, if you're celebrating a marriage, if you're celebrating a college graduation or something like that, you have, excuse me, enough wine in the bottle that you can pour 6, 8, 10, 12, 14 people out of the bottle. Everybody gets a taste. Everybody's happy. There you are. That's your answer. Okay. Well, uh, as soon as I have a child— uh, that's you'll, what I'm doing. You'll, you'll do that. <laughs> yes. Well, Actually, uh, you might want to buy a bottle of wine to celebrate the fact that you have been 
together with your wife for how many years? Yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be uh, twelve coming up in June. So, what year did you meet? Uh, well, we met in '99. We got married in '03. Okay, so I actually have a bottle of '03 Chardonnay from the vineyard that was outside where we got married, and it's probably too old now. Well, you know, I had we had I had three left. One was terrible. This is this is actually yeah, another lesson. There this you is go. A, but this is another lesson about aging wine. So, same case of wine, and uh, we had it was three bottles. We opened one about. Nine months ago, and it was really just totally over the hill, and yeah. kind of, kind of even a little acidic and sour. And poof. and we opened another one a couple months later, and it was terrific. Yeah. It was actually all, you know. So there's the th- we have one left. We're just going to hang on to it till we know it's bad. But <laughs> but the, but there's the thing where you know even here these are two side by side bottles stored right. together. You just right. don't know. There is the there is that bottle variation that you run into over time. It becomes right. much more. Pronounced. Well, speaking of variation, there is also the Rick and Paul variation, which you'll be able to hear more of uh, as we start to take questions when we come right back. This is Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Stay with us. This is Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. It is time to take some questions from listeners. And if you'd like to be one of those very well-regarded listeners who ask us a question, oh, the accolades you'll get. You just need to go to rickandpaulwine.com, all one word, Rick and Paul Wine. Or you can look for us on iTunes and subscribe for free with just a click. If you're new to us and want to know why we are answering questions about aging... Well, it's just simple enough. We are aging pretty fast ourselves. Very we fast. We know we're speaking from the inside. Yes. It's, I can feel it as we sit here. <laughs> um, however, despite aging, Paul's a respected industry pro. He answers questions on experts.com, as we mentioned earlier, teaches Napa Valley College and around the world, knows lots of people. They're all aging, too, by the Everybody's way. aging. I That's know. right. And Rick... Um, is New York Times best-selling author, about a couple of books on the wine business, and a longtime journalist, wine commentator on Capital Public Radio. The lovely people who allow us to record here. Thank you very much. What's our first question? Carmen Rojas in San Francisco. And it is on the subject. Once again, I saved it for this. Excellent. I see wine writers and other people say wine will be good until, like, 2023 or 2029 or something like that. It's always an odd number. How do they know? Well, yeah. because wine never hits its peak on an even-numbered it's, year, Carmen. It's That's one of the rule. rules of being a wine, right? <laughs> they are not even-numbered creatures. Yeah, they uh, don't. They don't. Yeah. Uh, first, <laughs> of all, first of all, these are guesses. And, and w- remember what we said earlier in the show. As a wine ages, it changes. So at its best, for whom? For someone who likes bright, fruity, intensely flavored wines? Best right now. For someone who likes long, soft, Elegant wines without as much fruit, best well beyond this window. They're giving you a window just to give you an idea that over time they've had a bunch of wines and they tasted pretty good like this. But this is a classic example of a wine writer offering his or her opinion on something without knowing what where your tastes lie and then determining what you're going to like. And all you can do is try the wines read the columns, read the writers, and decide whether their tastes correspond with yours or whether you are on a completely different planet than these guys. And that's quite possible because Rick has been on a different planet for years. Mine looks like Mars. (laughs) Um, And, you you know, uh, when when somebody says it's going to be good till 2029, uh, half the time they are just making that up. I mean, they know it's going to age, but not that. And and the second thing is they also know that in 2029, you won't remember who it was that told you. I've always said that the solution to the American car industry is they ought to sell you a car 
and they'll tell you, look, this is an absolutely brilliant car. Put it in your garage. Leave it there for 15 years. When you pull it out, you're going to love it. Right? Yeah, there they you go. They sell a bunch of cars. They don't have to live up to the warranty or anything else because nobody's driving the cars. You just need a lot of garage space. You, don't, you yeah. need a lot of garages. Right. Our next one comes from Amber Fam in Sonoma. This could apply to us. Okay. I've heard people say that wine goes through a dumb phase. <laughs> She's asking us. <laughs> <laughs> well, Amber, we, we sure do, as we said. It's, with us, it's, more, it's less a phase and more conditioned. <laughs> so she wants to know what does that mean? Yeah, well, we're too dumb. We <laughs> yes. don't know. I wish actually, I knew. Actually, it refers more than anything else. It refers to the the what is called the bouquet in the wine and I'm going to get a little technical here but I'm going to try not to get too technical in wine geek speak the fresh fruity aromas of the pure fruit those are called the aroma and the wine's bouquet develops from those elements and other things like the barrel and other things over time. So you start with aroma and you end up with bouquet over time. A, f a distinction, by the way, that very, very few people, including some, some of the wine writers, really get. So remember, you're starting with big fruit and you're ending up with complexity and, and, and lots of different flavors at the end. That doesn't happen in a straight line, and there are times when the fruit has died back and you're still not quite getting enough of the bouquet, and that's what they mean by a dumb phrase. And that's kind of when, you know, when I think of this, I think of Rick Cushman. It's, you would not be the first. <laughs> you know, the other is, is right when a wine gets bottled. It is also, For the same reason. Yeah, and it's not, but it's not, it, that's a slightly bit different, too, yeah. because it's not really ready. It's shocked. It is not, I tell you, it's not shocked. ready to go, yes. And I am frequently shocked as well. Yeah. So, but what dumb phase really means is that when you stick your nose in the glass, you're getting less than you would expect, and there's probably a reason for it. It may have to do with the, when it was bottled, or it may just have to do with the wine going through a transition. That's why it's called a phase. Now, if it's just a dumb wine, it never comes out of that, and you're sorry you didn't drink it sooner. And, and that dumb wine may have never gotten a dumb phase because it was just bad to begin with. Just dumb. All right. Well, <clears throat> we are too. But that is it for questions for now. We will have many more in the second half of the show, which was coming up in a bit. But first, we will have some really horrible wine writing when we come right back. Stay with us. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Yes, yes. Doesn't that make you happy and happy to know that you're going to get some really bad wine writing? Well, <laughs> Something to look forward yeah, to. Yeah, there you go. Paul, what'd you bring in today? I brought this from one of the most famous wine writers in the world. And a good one. And a good one in many cases. In many cases. Yeah. But I just love this description, and I thought, you know, if I could say this to a thousand American wine consumers, they would all read this and turn to me and say, what language are we speaking? <laughs> she starts, okay, dark, glowing, crimson, grunty, very concentrated, 
Ar- arguably, the miracle here is to find a wine from Jean Hubert mm, under 20 pounds and one you could actually think of drinking too. I like that. This should certainly appeal to classicists, especially those knowledgeable enough to know that it's related to the most expensive blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Okay. First, I got, I got to say the part I do like about it, when you could actually think of drinking. <laughs> yes, but I'm, I'm going to point out that there is exactly one concentra- one word describing the wine here. Well, there's grunty. crimson and concentrated. And grunty. Rick, I have does, no idea what grunty what means. What does grunty mean? Grunty, grunty is me in the morning before coffee. <laughs> and I would never put me in but a bottle. But there is an entire yeah. paragraph, and it does not include yeah. anything about what the wine actually tastes like other than it's a really good wine from this, or a grunty wine from well, a guy that makes it, it famous sh- other wines. It should appeal to classicists, so I think a classicists are grunty. All are right. classicists grunty? Yes, they are, okay. apparently. Who knew? I, I have one, and it's one of those, uh, never mind the rest of it, is the difference. Uh, diff- notice the difference. From a critic, lush peach, rich cherry blossom aromas, flavors are full and plush, mostly white peach, tangerine, lemon balm, <laughs> and the faintest hint of toasty yeast. Bring this wine to your next springtime celebration. The winemaker, look for notes of crisp, fresh fruit, kiwi, pear, nectarine, green, apple, and honey. Also detect aromas, white flowers, and spice. Okay, so the winemaker- Not a single word in common. Nothing in common. At and all. So, and, you know, and one has this lush wine, and one has this- uh, Crisp. This crisp wine. Um yeah. yeah, I and once again we have a, lemon balm. A lemon balm. Well, that there's that too. Yes. Well, I like to think of us as a balm for wine drinkers. <laughs> you are listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and we'll have more questions and more weird stuff coming up in the second half of the show. Stay with us. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Oh, yes. Travel Heart. machine time is the trumpets. Thank you for coming, gentlemen. Uh, we'll need you again next week. We, we, we appreciate they that. They do that, and they play it exactly they the same every time. They are good. They are good. <laughs> and the way they fit into the studio is really impressive. <laughs> okay. It is the historic history moment time, of course. Paul? Well, I was going to talk about the city of Pompeii. A lovely place. Outside of Rome, destroyed by the massive uh, explosion of Mount uh, Vesuvius covered the southern part of Italy with ash and absolutely destroyed this one town. But when they started digging around to see what people did in their free time in Pompeii, they discovered an entire street full of nothing more than wine bars. And it was pretty cool because the wine bars were actually built. You know, wine in those days was stored basically underground in clay pots. And they actually had a bar set up with the clay pots under the bar. So it was just like having draft beer on tap. Yeah, you yeah. could just reach in there, hand somebody a glass of uh, whichever Roman wine they liked the best, and there were more wine bars than temples in Pompeii. So the, that gives you an idea. Those Pompeians knew how to live. Well, until Mount Vesuvius destroyed them. But, That's right. Yeah, I'm in Pompeii, too. Are you? In fact, I am also in one of your wine bars. On the walls of one of those wine bars, they yes. also they found a price list. Excellent. So for one denarius, mm-hmm. you could buy in as, which is, that was the Latin word at the time, but as basically meant the house wine. The house wine. For two, you could buy the best. For two, and for four denarius, Florinian. 
which was a sweet wine that aged Falernian well. Falernian was yeah. the greatest it, wine of the Roman Empire. Yeah, and one of the reasons was, and we've talked about this in the past, was, was all the other wines spoiled pretty quickly. But yeah. because this was sweet and rich, it yeah. actually aged well, speaking of aging, or aged better. According to Pliny the Elder, Julius Caesar was served a Falernian from the 121 B.C. vintage. This was in like 60 B.C. Yes. So this is a 60-year-old wine. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. However, there was the general conclusion that there was a little bit of fake Falernian going on because— No. Because apparently they were drinking and selling way more of the stuff than people were actually making. Than you could make. Well, I'm shocked, I tell you. Shocked that uh, that would happen in an industry as reputable I've as the wine I've never business. heard of that thing except for the show we did a week or two ago about uh, all that <laughs> fake, fake wine out there. Yeah. So speaking of me, back to aging wine. Okay. Uh, besides the Falernian. Got any Falernian on you? I you drank sold, it all. I sold it for <laughs> sold triple it. the price. Right. With the initials JC on the, <laughs> yes. on, and the vintage 60 BC <laughs> there you go. etched on the side of the <laughs> yes. amphora. It, it went for a pretty penny, I have to tell you. <laughs> More than one denarium. <laughs> okay. So besides <laughs> those pots below the bar... Let's talk a little bit about if you want to really age wine, uh, you know, not the supermarket wine that you stuck away and in, right. you can drink in a couple months, so although some in, of the principles apply. You go into a fine wine shop and you talk to the guy or uh, the They don't gal. let me into the fine shops. Well, no, I can I, go okay. in the okay shops. I go into the fine wine I shop. I send you, right. <laughs> That's right. Okay. And we select a wine that I am assured will last easy 10 years, well-structured, well-made wine, beautifully balanced, and it cost me an arm and a leg, so I know all of that's going to work just fine. So then where do you put it? And here are the three enemies of wine as you age wine. One is heat, one is light, and one is motion. So you want a cool... I thought, I thought dark... the Klingons were also... No, no, the, that's a different show. Right? Okay. That's your television right. show. Yes, I'm sorry. It's cool, dark, and quiet. Right. Right. That's right. where you want to be. Right. Now, and, when you think about where most people... Quiet is a huge point that a lot of people forget. It is. Because when you think about where most people put wines in the cabinet over the oven, dark, quiet, not cool. And not necessarily quiet, too, because you'd yeah, be rattling be. around there. Uh, you know, yeah. rattling Whether, pots you know, and the, things. So I've seen it in the, on the, the, you know, the wine rack over the refrigerator. Wine rack over the refrigerator. That's got none of those. Th- That's, yeah. there you get all three, right there. Yeah, right. you yeah. want your wine to instantly turn bad. That's the yeah. best way to do it. Yeah, the easy thing is really that your coolest you know, inside dark closet. That, right. You know, you know but, but if you're going to store... Um, a, a wine that you really value that we were talking about earlier in the show. We're going to ask a couple more questions about that as well. But we really stored is you know you probably you're going to be investing in the wine. It's probably it's time to start thinking about if you if you don't have a you know an actual cellar like you have a cellar in your house an actual I cellar. Do. I actually it's have cool, a hole in the It's cool. It's dark. Ground. It's got mud prints from me. Yes. Um, no, that's in the house. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> that was the mud me. was the mud was in the cellar <laughs> yes. until you brought well, it into the house. I think I think it should share. <laughs> but if you don't have a cellar, invest in a wine refrigerator. You're really only a couple of hundred bucks for a fifty bottle wine refrigerator that's semi decent. Right. And it's worth it for those because you're going to spend hundreds of bucks on the that wine well, eventually. Maybe, because the other side of this is somebody gives you one bottle of wine on your wedding day and says, "Open it on your tenth anniversary." You're not going to buy. $300 refrigerator no, no. for one bottle of wine. And in that case, the collection of the bright aqua and tangerine towels that those people, th- the, that your relatives you on the, your wife's too? side gave you for your wedding, wrap the bottle in a couple of those towels, stick it down in the bottom of an interior wall closet in your house with a little sticker on it that says, pray that in 10 years this will be okay to drink. And that's what you do with it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Let's talk really briefly about the kinds of wines that might age better. As we talked a little bit earlier about like a port for that, you know, for the yep. graduating senior. There's a handful of wines that are much more designed um, to, to age than others. Let's start with a wine that, that folks probably hear the name a lot, which is a Barolo. And, you know, it's an Italian wine. Uh, it's made from Nebbiolo He grape. played against Sophia Loren in La yeah, Dolce was, Vita, he was it? he was the Roman gladiator. The Roman gladiator. Yeah, that was, was it. Mr. Yeah. Barolo. Yeah. Giancarlo but, Barolo. But, but that's a wine that is, is, like, designed to be, you know, four years minimum. Yes. It can age a decade yes. or two. That's, that's one of yes. the wines that, that people see. What are some of the others? Well, the, to me, the classic is Bordeaux. And it can't just be any old Bordeaux. It really has to be one of the top Bordeaux. But I will say this because I think it's important. The wines they are making in Bordeaux today are significantly different than the wines they were making 20 years ago. And while the wines they were making 20 years ago, no question they have aged pretty well. Starting with about the 2000 vintage, we're starting to see wineries in Bordeaux make wines that are less structured, maybe a little softer. And will they age as long? I'm not sure. Um, I certainly have some in my cellar. I'm certainly expecting them to age well. But the truth is, I once asked a, a famous winemaker, I said, you know, you're making a different kind of wine now than you were making right. uh, 25 years ago. How will it age? And he said, frankly, Paul, I'm not sure. I haven't made wine this way before. And I think that's true in almost every area of the world. Um, that right. they are changing the style of wine they're making, and who knows how it's going to age. Yeah, you know, there's there's all kinds of interesting things that have happened in the world. They sort of call it the international palate, sort of. But it's, you know, it, it's the good news that more people are drinking wine. Yes. But, you know, by by definition, more people that are drinking wine, they're buying it to drink it. They're not buying it to stick in the cellar for years and years and years. You know, you and I have talked in the past, and, and it's, a, it's kind of a frightening formula. If you think about, you know, aging wine, something to know, too. If you're buying wine to age... It's it is a complicated sport. It's you kind of have to be yeah. committed for it. You actually have to buy a decent amount of wine. I yeah. was talking earlier about my you know my wedding anniversary Chardonnay. Now the right. Chardonnay is not an aging wine, but you know one out of three kind of work. You you sort of have to you yeah. have to plan now with on red that. wines. Your odds are going to be higher than that at, at twelve years. But you know one of the things I did once for a magazine, they asked me to do a quick calculation. If you wanted to have one nice bottle of wine every two weeks that was a nicely aged, beautiful bottle of wine, how much wine would you need? And I said, well, let's just assume that it's red wine. Let's assume that the average age is, let's say, 10 years old. And frankly, for a lot of red wines, 10 years is just getting started. It could be 20 years for some of these wines. I certainly have wines in my cellar that are 20 years old. So let's say 10 years, two bottles of wine a month. That's 24 bottles a year times 10 years. That's 240 bottles. That's 20 cases of wine aging just so you can start drinking some of the stuff 10 years from now. And and part of the challenge with that is that's there aren't very many wine – these wine refrigerators that hold 20 cases of wine. And – you and I have said when you do this, you find a few bottles that don't actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I will tell you, I have a cellar that's got I won't tell you how many bottles of wine, but I would just say that I'll bet twenty percent of the wines in my cellar that are carefully aged, they're in perfect conditions. We should have drunk them five or ten yeah. years ago. Yeah, and there's they're always just, that. Right, just, you just you know, don't know. It's it's like that third kid. You know, you, you'd <laughs> want to treat them like the rest, but you just forget about them in the back of the closet, and sure enough, suddenly they're a teenager, and you got problems. I'm the second kid, and then my parents say that about me. But uh, 
Yeah, and so that I think, if anything, you know, which isn't to say that you know, aging wine and having aged wines isn't a great thing, but it is a it is it is a bit of a commitment. It's why I just wait to get invited to somebody's house. Well, that's the best solution of all. It's my make entire... friends with somebody who has a great cellar. Wait for them to invite you over. Let them take you into the cellar. Shh. Pick out a bottle oh. and then track mud all over the house. Yes, that it's been my entire. I always point for the most, <laughs> the oldest and most expensive bottle. That's too. right. Yes. All right. Well, That's we're right. pretty cheap though, and when we come back, <laughs> we will answer some uh, cheap questions. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Stay with us. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and we are going back to some questions. If you'd like to be one of those prized people who, you notice our new tactic is now we we praise the heck we out of people who answer. praise people who ask us a question. Yes, uh, it's, that's our new tactic. So if you want to be praised highly, yes. you can ask us a question by going to rickandpaulwine.com. So who is the remarkable person who asked us a question? Well, the next remarkable person to ask us a question is, uh, is uh, a man named Pat Sweeney, who's a regular listener. So well, clearly, he's doubly remarkable. <laughs> clearly, he's doubly remarkable because not only does he put up with us, but he asks us questions. And he says, there's a thin line between 89 and 90 points, or 94 and 95. Especially those 89 and 90s can make or break a sale. That seems like a lot of pressure on our critic, even the best critics. How do they measure that difference? You know, that's a really interesting, and a, it's a great question because if you ask the critics, they will tell you there's not much difference between 89 and 90 points. They will, they will come right out and say there's not that much difference. And yet, go to the store, nobody talks about 89-point wines, no. everybody talks about 90-point wines. So it's not the critic who is making this an important distinction. It's the market that's decided that I only want to buy wines that would get an A in my high school math class. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and and it, frankly, none of my best friends were the ones getting A's in my high school math class. <laughs> although, you know, there's there's also um there's sort of a hype factor to it, which is that, you know, folks brag about the 90, they don't brag about the 89. I mean, right. it's it's a circularity right. to it, you know. That's right. But if there if there well, truly is well, what one did you point get in math class, right? You know, this is going to surprise you. I was really good at math. Were you? Yeah. Well, that may make our point even more strongly. Yeah. <laughs> it shows it's socially useful, useless. Well, why, why would you? Why yeah. would you want to spend all that money for a ninety-six point yeah. when you get Rick Cushman? Yeah, that's there. You go. <laughs> I, it's, it's entirely true. Um, yeah. It, it look. It's, it's a shock to anyone that I was uh, pretty good at anything, but math in particular. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, we have another one. This is from uh, Michael Reed in Mill Valley. He says, "A friend told me." The darker the grape, the sweeter the juice. He said that meant darker wines have more alcohol. Is that true, or does darker mean actually sweeter, or does it mean anything? It doesn't mean anything. It means the kind of grape the wine was made from, so that, for example, Malbecs will always, and Petite Syrahs will always be darker than Pinot Noirs or Sangioveses, but does that mean that one is sweeter? No. Does that mean that one is more intense? No. Color is something that tricks our mind into seeing things, but to pay too much attention to color in terms of what the wine is going to taste like is really kind of ignoring the, the physical characteristics of the grape. It's like saying red apples are sweeter than green apples. Well, it depends on the red apple, depends on the green apple, and there are so many different colors of apples in the middle there that you can't make any sort of 
generalization like that. Yeah, there are uh, there's a, a lot of wines where they they add a, a, you know they're looking for a, another they blend with a, a darker colored wine to give it a darker to give color. it more color because consumers like because consumers colors. like it right that's it's, right they they think it means something. Well, and yeah. when you you take a nice well made eighty eight point wine. And you blend a little of the darker color <laughs> grape in, and it gets you to 90 points. You're golden. Well, I think if, that was one of Actually, the math classes. What, what percentage of 92-point wine do you need to add to the 88-point wine to get, you get it to a 90? Yeah, that's right. something like that. <laughs> that's yes. a, that sounds like a word problem. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But the, the answer is, are you crazy? <laughs> I, I think you can spend your time a little more wisely. Is, I think, I think that's, oh, that's, what the, that's what the answer to that one is. The next one is a storage kind of question. Well, it's sort of a storage okay. kind of question. This is from Jennifer Myers in Davis. The you bar- mean Davis as in UC Davis? That's true. The yes. temple of winemaking education? Well, and, and my uh, my undergraduate alma mater. There you go. It just goes to show that they have some ba- good points and some bad points. <laughs> have some good years and bad years, yes, even they, at Davis. Yes. It was all those math classes. <laughs> all right. She says, the bartender at one of my regular places said they just got some got in some keg wines. Yeah. My husband tried to look dismissive, but when I asked, I'm, I'm laughing because I know where this goes. <laughs> uh, to try to look dismissive, but when I asked what they were, he didn't know, except right. that they came in a keg. So he dismissed them, but he didn't yes. actually know what they were. Right. Excellent. So she says, "What's a keg wine? Are they any good?" And while I'm at it, I don't suppose you could help with that dismissive thing my husband <laughs> does when wine stuff comes up that he doesn't know about. <laughs> oh man, no, that one's that's incurable. Yes, that, even the even UCSF can't cure that one. No, I think that is right. That is a medical condition. That frankly, <laughs> um, you know, we did have uh, a show a couple of weeks ago where somebody asked, and and we decided it was really well placed elbows. Um, is that, well-placed elbows. Yes, that that's is, right. That's the answer and, for the dismissiveness. Uh, well-placed elbow in the ribs takes care of the dismissiveness. Right. And I think you the, were going for the kidney. You wanted permanent damage. Yeah, I wanted some. I wanted him to remember. Yeah, there's not much we can do about that. You know, make him take classes or something so he'll know about it, and then people will tell him not to act dismissive. But a keg wine, on the keg other wine. hand, is a well. Well, here we enough. go again because you know whether it's a screw cap, whether it's a bag in the box, where it's a classic bottle with a cork, all of these things are a way of storing wine. They don't actually. Of in and of themselves mean that the wine inside is better or worse. There are some young winemakers, quite innovative in California, who are putting some very good wines in. These are basically beer kegs. Yeah. I mean, they're yeah. a little smaller and they're a little easier to move around, but they're basically... And here's the problem with your traditional wine bottle with the cork. I own a restaurant, so I'm going to pick six or eight or ten wines by the glass because I want people to be able to order wines by the glass. Well, some of those wines are very popular, and we go through three or four bottles a day. The one that Rick always orders down there on the corner, that he's the only one who orders it. and it's he only the comes Falernian. It's yeah. the Falernian from Falernian, ancient yeah, Rome, yeah. and he only orders that once every three days. Now, do I dump the leftover wine every day because I can't leave it in the bottle for three or four days? It will eventually, even with the little gas thing and all the rest, it's not yep. keg wines solve this problem. You have really interesting wines from these young winemakers, and no matter how much you pull out of the keg, it's under neutral gas so that it doesn't oxidize. It stays fresh to the last drop, which is what they used to say about some coffee. And so kegs are a really good way for restaurants to offer by the glass wines. The problem is, of course, that there aren't that many people doing them, and not all the wines in kegs are right. great any more than all the wines in bottles well, are great. Yeah, and it, you know that, that is the, the one, as Paul said, you're, 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 the guarantee of a keg wine is that it's going to be fresh. 
You know, yes. ready, ready to go, ready to drink. The downside is often the case with a lot of restaurants is they put their, because it's a larger container, they put their sort of the w- w- wines they figure that are going to be their happy hour wines and the wines they're going to sell tons of because they're easier to move. So it's really just look at what the wine is. And, yep. you know, it's, and it'll be some regular high-end stuff, some low-end stuff, some stuff in between. But if the bartender yeah. says he's got some keg wines and you're Do concerned not- about the quality, the, the perfect solution here is to say, could I have just a little taste? Because it doesn't hurt them at all to pour you a little taste. And if the bartender's proud of the wines, he pours you a little taste. And now you know what you're ordering and you can pick out a nice wine in a keg. So here's what you do, uh, Jennifer. You, you go back with your husband. and oh, uh, I was going to leave the husband behind. No, no. You go back with him and you have the bartender say, you know, we have some wines and kegs. And then uh, when your husband looks dismissive, you say, Rick and Paul said, you know, those are pretty good wines. <laughs> pretty good way to serve wine. Yes. And, and, I and still, then he'll look dismissive as us, actually. Right. I then, still want to come to Rick's house and see that he's got three or four kegs in his fridge so that we can order wines by the glass in his kitchen. Yeah, except... Yeah, you know, I go through them so fast that you know you, you got you got to catch them. You never yeah. have a leftover bottle. It's a keg of night at our house. Yeah, that's 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 kind of that's kind of how we do it. Um, that's right. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, we have some uh, food and wine pairings coming up, but what we're going to do actually, we're going to take some of our aged wines and Are decide we? decide what foods. Go with them, oh, and okay. uh, that's that's when we come. Well, right. I hope we're opening your aged wines, we, and not well, my aged. No, wine. Um, they're all at your house. All right. Well, we'll debate that too when we come right back. Stay with us. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul and our food and wine pairing segment. We're going a wine and food pairing, I guess, because we're starting with the wine. Since we've been talking about older wines, um, and they are more complicated for for pairing because their flavors are different. We don't think of them the way we do. So let's talk about a couple of those wines that do age well and what you might pair them with. And let's start with our friend Bordeaux or an older cat. Well, let's talk about red wines in general. Um, Big chunks of lightly cooked red meats go beautifully with big, young red wines. When I drink an older red wine, I would like to see something that maybe the meat has been cooked a little longer. So I'm looking at, I realize this is heresy, but I did once order in a really good restaurant in Bordeaux to drink with Bordeaux, beef bourguignon, which is a beef stew. But that's from Burgundy wine from Bordeaux. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but actually, I, hand, I see where you're going with this. And yeah. I defended yeah. my position by telling them that it was the only good use of Burgundy wine was in the sauce. You didn't just say, oh, there you go. That's There you go. <laughs> the see, only I, way, it was the only way they are going to let me out alive. I would defend my position by saying I'm an American. What do I know? <laughs> what do I know? <laughs> yeah. That's right. But I like that idea of more the more cooked meats. So with Bordeaux, um, I like the, the beef stews. I yeah. like the, yeah. the pot roast kinds of things. Um, more yeah, than but I not, like. but not giant loud sauces either. No, that's yeah, yeah, right. gentle sauces. Yeah. That's right, because the wines are a little more subdued. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, the other thing that actually is, I, I for me, I think that always I really like with Bordeaux uh, is it's, it's simple grilled meats, but simply grilled, not no barbecue sauces. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, and sort of just caramelized a little bit, and so yeah. you've got you're sort of almost in that same palate mm. a little bit mm. of it. You know, um, mm-hmm. but but once again, it has to be a little bit quieter. Yep. So uh, speaking of um, of Burgundy, what about an older Pinot Noirs? 
Um, in some ways, older Pinot Noir is among the more adaptable wines on the planet. I mean, the... I've saw a couple using an iPhone the other day. They <laughs> they just handle new technology so well. You yeah, yeah, you know, I if if we are not serving that really tart cranberry sauce, roast turkey. Uh, with Pinot Noir is fabulous. Ham, uh, ham with a with a pasta with a cheese sauce on it together. Something like all of those are beautiful combinations. Notice I'm not going for the big powerful yeah. flavors. I'm going with things that are a little softer, a little right. richer, letting the creamy elegance of that of that Pinot Noir come through. You know what I would add to that, and you know we talk about Pinot Noir and salmon as being one of the classic yeah. pairings, and so yeah. but uh, once again we're talking about like, like a you know a grilled salmon or the plank roasted salmon when it's just right. the really simple, yep. gentle salmon and the wood smoke flavor. Gentle salmon, not, yeah, not gentle. an aggressive salmon. No, the mean salmon. ones, they None totally of... do not go, the mean <laughs> ones. All right, there's a different direction now, is, and these are wines that age terrifically, which is an older Riesling. Yes. So that's a wine that's going to be, now it's going to be you know a little bit sweet. It'll probably still have some acidity. It'll have a goldenness to it. You've got some honey yes. tones. And... And, and bear in mind that it, older Riesling will have a fair amount of acidity. So you have to be really careful about pairing this up, for example, with anything too sweet. Even though it's a kind of sweet wine, right. if you serve something really sweet with this wine, the only thing that will come through is the... Is the Acidity. It will taste sour, even though it's a beautifully sweet wine. So, what do you pick for Riesling? Well, for for an, excuse me, for an older Riesling, I'm actually back. I'm still in the savory palettes, and I think okay. something like like ham, yep. like a, a gently cooked ham, a little bit of the salt, you know, picking that out, or um, you know, something that once again, not it can actually handle a little bit of spice, mm-hmm, but not, mm-hmm. but not, uh, but spice flavors, but not, um, but not spiciness. So yeah, you know, yeah. you're, you're talking about and fish that has, uh, um, I'm trying to think what the sauce might be that would go with it, but, you know, mm-hmm. more like an herb sauce on there. When I get those beautiful, re- I mean, I drink Riesling all the time, and older Rieslings are just fabulous, and I'll drink them just on their own. Of course, we haven't talked about cheese. Delicate cheese oh, yeah. is great oh, with yeah, yeah, yeah. all cheese, of these wines. It. But the other thing that I'll go for, I'll go sweet, a not sweet, something like an apricot tart. Ah, and you get the apricot ah, and the Riesling, and you get the I apricot see, tart, I see where you're going. and you have died and gone to heaven. Yeah, yeah. Any kind of a crumbly thing would yeah, yeah, yeah. be good. Okay. Not yo. too sweet. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, speaking of not too sweet, we have to, we have the not too sweet news that is it, that's it for another round of Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Our engineer is a sweet guy. That's Matt Bassini. Thanks, Matt. Thank you to Capital Public Radio for the studio use, as always. If you'd like to ask us a question, we'll say nice things about you. Just go to rickandpaulwine.com, all one word. And remember, you can find us on iTunes and subscribe for free with just a click. And if you've learned anything today, we hope it's this. It's not the age. It's the storage, except when it's the age. (laughs) I'm Rick Cushman. I'm Paul Wagner. Remember, the best wines are what you drink with friends. Or with us. Especially with us. 